Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you femme fatales, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. That's the crowd. I'm Little Leah. came out silent, though. (laughs) Come on, we want a crowd. That's the masses. Not like, wow, we've been here for five seconds, haven't even introduced ourselves. We've already gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah. If this is not your first time here, you already know I'm little Leah and this is Carla Wainwright. Crazy Carla. Yep. (laughs) We're pretending we have throngs of admirers and just, you know, making crowd noises into the microphone. A little ASMR. your bras at us, ladies. ASMR crowd sounds. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? We're upbeat. We got in a somewhat upbeat topic so we can keep up on the laughs. Uh, in today's episode, we're diving deep into the science and psychology behind female arousal and desire. We all like to be turned on, but most of us experience times when that arousal isn't quite flowing as we'd like, and we might not understand why. So we're sharing insights provided by experts in the field and having a conversation around what influences female arousal, misconceptions that are still out there, and practical tips to enhance intimacy and satisfaction. Carla, do your thing, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a really important conversation because um, I I know in my own life, my desire, my uh, capacity for feeling sexually aroused has like kind of been all over the map. And I think it's something that a lot of women don't talk about because there's a lot of shame of, you know, maybe not feeling turned on and horny uh, when you feel like you should be. And so, um, yeah, I'm hoping that that some of what we're sharing today just kind of helps maybe ease people's worries or just gives a little more context and some solutions. So We're going to start, as we always do, with historical context, because, you know, that's what we love here. Um, And, you know, female arousal has just really been misunderstood for millennia. No big surprise. And, of course, historical views are influenced by, you know, cultural, societal and scientific beliefs. Um, We'll put scientific in quotation marks, (laughs) you know, depending (laughs) on the times. So we'll start off with, you know, positive one here. So in ancient Egypt, uh, sexual pleasure and fertility were very closely connected. And, you know, when you look at some ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and texts, they depict women and men having all kinds of fun and various sexual activities. And, you know, it's thought that that suggests an appreciation for the role of female arousal in uh, not only procreation, but pleasure. And there actually are some ancient Egyptian texts that contained advice on sexual techniques and positions to specifically enhance female pleasure. I wonder if that was because, you know, like Cleopatra was clean. I think it was probably way before that. Way before that? Yeah, she was at the end of sort of that Egyptian dynasty. Well, look who doesn't um, read much history here out of the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, we go over to ancient Greece and Rome, and there's some medical texts there that suggest that women uh, needed to experience desire and pleasure for conception to occur, which of course we all know is not true. And I actually think that this was, this was believed throughout the centuries and may even be by some people today 
uh, and becomes kind of like um, uh, an excuse for rape. So it's like, Mm. well, yeah, so that she wouldn't have gotten pregnant if she didn't want it or something like that. So that's, you know, very unfortunate. My brain thought the opposite thing. I was like, thank God this is not true because we'd have a ton of fucking kids. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) don't let it feel good. (laughs) Uh, This one's kind of interesting. So during the Islamic golden age between the 8th and 13th centuries, there was an emphasis on the importance of women's sexual pleasure. And there are scholars like uh, Al-Razi and Al-Suyuti, apologies if I messed that up. And they wrote about female sexual anatomy and the importance of a woman's satisfaction in the context of marriage. That's pretty Hmm. neat. Uh, Then, of course, we have in ancient China, the Taoist teachings, um, which emphasize the importance of harmonizing sexual energy for health and spiritual being. We've talked a lot about this on the show. There's a real resurgence in these Taoist practices, you know, in our modern day. And so these texts really contain really detailed instructions on sexual techniques and the importance of female sexual pleasure. And they recognize that women's pleasure was not only essential for a healthy relationship, but also for spiritual growth. Then we, you know, come back over to Europe. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Bring out the fun. Uh, Yeah, during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. So uh, female sexuality was was viewed through the lens of modesty and restraint. And there was the prevailing belief that women should be passive in all sexual matters. And that, of course, continued through into the Victorian era uh, that continued the belief that women lacked any sexual desire and were primarily motivated by their maternal instincts. And then we're going to move to the 19th century to everyone's favorite, hysteria. <laughs> and it was a common diagnosis for women who exhibited exhibited symptoms of anxiety, irritability, or sexual, sexual frustration. And physicians often treated hysteria by inducing, how do you say this, Paro, paroxysms? Paroxysms. Paroxysms, which were essentially early forms of manual clitoral stimulation, as it was believed that women needed regular release to maintain their mental health. Yeah, so that's the whole story of how the vibrator came into being. Yes, and um, but I'm sh- we've talked about that many times on the show. Totally, as well. totally. But that, of course, this has nothing to do with you know arousal, desire. It's it's rather it's hysteria. So like mm-hmm. anxiety, irritability, and instead of, you know, uh, a woman's husband pleasuring her, she had to go hopefully see a cute doctor. Maybe. That made me think of that one, um, the one episode we did about the woman that could never have an orgasm that went <laughs> to yeah. all the, prof- in quotation marks, real loose quotation marks, by the way, professionals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that just made me think of. (laughs) But you know what? Why don't we throw Sigmund Freud into the mix? Because this motherfucker made things even more confusing. He proposed the concept of the vaginal orgasm, suggesting that clitoral orgasms were immature and women should progress to experiencing orgasms through vaginal intercourse. And this, of course, created confusion and anxiety for many women and contributed to misunderstandings about female arousal. And then even into the mid-20th century, some psychologists and sex researchers continued to propagate myths about female arousal, including the idea that women were less sexual or less in need of sexual satisfaction than men. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't remember what the statistic is, but, you know, it's probably 
it's definitely less than 20% of women can orgasm only through vaginal penetration with no clitoral stimulation. So yeah, imagine being told that, you know, you had immature orgasms. I know, I was just going to say, that orgasm doesn't count. It was very immature (laughs) of your vagina. You need to take it back to pussy school. Ooh, good one. Like that. <laughs> if there was a pussy school, Carla would run it. <laughs> yeah, probably. I would be the grand high pussy. The grand high pussy. <laughs> I really need a hat for that. Okay. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> So the understanding of female arousal only really started to change with the pioneers in sexology like Alfred Kinsey and Masters and Johnson. And they conducted, of course, the groundbreaking research on human sexuality. So they explored female sexual response in a scientific context. And this really helped to dispel myths and misconceptions about female arousal and orgasm. So at this time, there was like a a really big shift. This is in the probably the 50s and 60s. in understanding female sexual desire within the scientific community. And so now what we're going to do is just fast forward to contemporary research where I think, you know, there's been so much progress made in understanding female arousal and desire. And I think to really understand this whole topic, we we need to understand some of the underlying mechanisms. And this relies on the work of Emily Nagowski, and she's a prominent sex educator and researcher. And she's the author of this book called Come As You Are. And I really recommend this book. It's a very easy read. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's not, you know, really sort of very scientifically dense. It's easy to read, but super imp- in, uh, informative. And I'll make sure I link that in the show notes. So what she does is she talks about what she calls a dual control model with respect to female arousal. So this model says that sexual response in women is influenced by two systems. So you have the sexual excitation excitation system, which is the SES, and the sexual inhibition system, which is the SIS. So the SES uh, triggers arousal and the SIS puts the brakes on it. And so we'll we'll break this down a little bit. And so Leah, do you want to start by just sharing more about the SES? Okay. So the sexual excitation system is the accelerator in the sexual response system. And it's responsible for turning us on, generating desire, and pushing us towards sexual activities. And it's highly sensitive to sexual cues and can be activated by things like physical touch, erotic images, fantasies, emotional intimacy, and factors that enhance the SES include feeling safe, relaxed, and emotionally connected to a partner. Uh, there's also a positive body image, self-esteem, and sexual self-confidence. self-confidence say that ten times fast. Also contribute to a responsive SES. Mm-hmm. So then, on the other end of that, we have the sexual inhibition system, and and this is the brakes uh, in the sexual response system, and it's designed to protect us from harm or negative consequences. So it, it puts those breaks on sexual desire and arousal. So the SIS is triggered by stress, relationship image, body image concerns, fear of pregnancy, uh, sexual transmitted infections, or cultural societal messages about sexuality. And what's really important to know is that the SIS can be more sensitive in some individuals. So what that means is that it might be for those people 
they might have more sexual inhibition because they're more sensitive to those kinds of uh, inhibition uh, triggers within themselves. So this is all really good to know and understand, you know, what are my specific exciters and what are my specific inhibitors? And there's a questionnaire in the book, uh, Come As You Are, um, really helpful to do and gives you a lot of good information for you to kind of understand where you are uh, between those two different types of systems in the model. So this theory also helps explain desire differences in couples. So one person in the couple may have a higher SES and a lower SIS, and the other partner may be the opposite, like lower SES and higher SIS. And this is really, this difference leads to a lot of misunderstandings and conflicts in relationships because we make the assumption that our partner may react the same way to things that turn us on and things that are the breaks. So this is like uh, an important take-home message that I want everyone to, to really hear. So the key to resolving these types of discrepancies and desire is to manage the SIS, like to manage the breaks, not to increase the, excite, the more excitement things, the SES. So we want to address the factors that inhibit desire. So all of the stresses, all of the emotional disconnection, body image issues, it's way more effective to have more desire to deal with the things that are the breaks than to try to increase sexual stimulation. It seems really straightforward, but I, I can understand where like people might take the opposite approach of like, well, let's try these five dildos instead. Exactly. Right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Instead like, of like, all the things, take a bath, have a massage, let's relax. No, we're going straight to five yeah. dildos in your butt. <laughs> clean the kitchen, vacuum the house. Oh yeah. Now come suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Typical. <laughs> okay. So there is another layer here that is also important. And that is the concept of non-concordance. I hope I said that right. Yep. Which has been the focus of sex researcher, Dr. Meredith Chivers. Chivers. <laughs> Concordance refers to the alignment of subjective feelings of arousal, what someone reports feeling, with physiological arousal, so physical responses like genital blood flow. Non-concordance, how many times are you going to make me say this word, Carla, I swear to God, means that someone might have the physical signs of being turned on, but they actually don't feel that way. So for example, women may show physical signs of arousal, increased blood flow to the genitals, even when they don't report feeling consciously aroused, or vice versa. No physical signs present, but they're really aroused inside. So all of this suggests that women's sexual responses are more complex and context-dependent than previously believed. Yes. Well done, Clea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what any of that means. Why lots lots of syllables. So basically what it means <laughs> lots is that <laughs> just what's happening on the outside isn't necessarily yeah. what a woman's feeling on the inside. And this is why communication is so important. So just because a woman isn't getting wet does not mean that she's not turned on and wants right. sex. And the converse is true, and I think this is really important, is sometimes the body may have a response, but internally, like in that mental emotional sphere, she may not want to have sex or be ready, right, and may need more time. So again, like communication is so important. We can't just rely on what's happening in the body without actually having a conversation and check-in about it. So it highlights the importance of 
understanding and communicating about what works best for each partner in their unique context. Um, and, you know, talking about tri- what triggers arousal in particular settings really can help the other person be more receptive to their partner's needs. And I'll just also say, like, as someone who's really uh, getting very close to approaching menopause, the physical signs of my body have changed a lot. And so it doesn't mean like, I won't, I won't, um, my arousal doesn't show up physically in the same way, but it doesn't mean that I'm not aroused. So all kinds of things can change that. It could be stress. It could be hormones, stages in life, all sorts of things. But again, it all comes down to communication. Don't make assumptions because uh, it's not always actually what's happening. Um, Okay. So another important aspect to mention is that uh, the arousal cycle for women is very different from men's. And this actually, we think about the whole concordance thing. So if a man has an erection, you're usually pretty certain he's turned on. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, you you might want to check, but it's it's a little clearer uh, for men that physiological response uh, matching with the internal uh, mental emotional state. So with men, it's pretty much a linear model when we look at men's sexual response and women's arousal is more cyclical and of course it's less predictable. So desire comes and goes. Um, external factors like stress and emotional state impacts the process. And because, of course, women are not straightforward, that's what makes us so amazing. Um, because uh, women might not always follow a straightforward pattern of arousal, it leads to misunderstandings or unrealistic expectations from partners. And so when you recognize and understand that there could be a cyclical nature of female desire, again, it fosters better communication and understanding. Uh, you can have more patience, hopefully, to just really navigate intimate moments with more empathy. So, um, yeah, men are different. Uh, men and women are different. Men are just basic, <laughs> linear, and basic. And that's the end of the show. <laughs> just kidding. It's not the end of the show. We're actually going to discuss some practical tips and practices to enhance arousal and desire for women, and we'll even for their partners too, I guess. So obviously, Carla has already brought this up, but communication. So openly discuss your desires, your boundaries, and your fantasies with your partner. Honest communication creates a safe and understanding space for intimacy. And that's regularly checking in with each other about your needs and desires, which can strengthen the emotional connection and lead to a more fulfilling sexual experience. Yeah. Communication, communication, communication. Uh, The next one is mindfulness. And this, I know we've talked about this in previous shows of, you know, how there's a tendency for a lot of women to kind of check out when they're having sex and, you know, think about all sorts of other things and just really not be in their bodies. So the mindfulness is so important when it comes to arousal and desire. So when we practice mindfulness during intimate moments, it not only deepens the connection between the pow- uh, between you and your partner, it minimizes the distractions. And as a result of that, you're more in tune with your body. You're able to say more of what you want and what you need. And that increases pleasure during sexual encounters. So just, you know, taking that moment, take a breath and allow yourself to come back into your body if you notice yourself checking out. And we've also got exploration. So encourage exploration of different types of touch and stimulation. And when I read the word exploration, I can't help but throw it back to the invaders of the back settlements. (laughs) I'm not, I'm definitely not saying start with anal right away, but how do you not think of that when you see exploration? (laughs) 
I don't know, Leah, I didn't think of that, but there you go. <laughs> well, I'm a sick fuck. Anyways, in the realm of exploration, you want to take time to discover what feels pleasurable for you and your partner. And this is where, you know, foreplay comes in and is important. So extended periods of physical and emotional foreplay can significantly enhance female arousal. Yes. Uh, sensate focus, which is a, ten- a technique which involves focusing on specific sensations during touch without the goal of orgasm. So this helps build intimacy and pleasure without pressure of performance and sensate focus exercises can be a really valuable tool for couples looking to connect on a deeper level. And body positivity, embrace it and challenge the negative self-perceptions you have of yourself, your sexual goddess, your hot as fuck. You're in bed with this other person right now having a barrel chicka wow 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 great time. A positive body image can significantly impact sexual confidence and desire and encourage self-love and acceptance as it paves the way for more satisfying and uninhibited sexual experiences. Totally. Body po- positivity is so huge. I I know like most of us struggle with our bodies, but if you can make some kind of peace with that, your desire will increase immensely. Mm-hmm. And also, too, just because you think something horrible about yourself does not mean that the other that's what the other person is seeing. And I think that's what we get really stuck in our heads about. Like, oh, my God, I'm so a gross, fat piece of shit. That's all they're going to see. You know, like, no, they're probably like super turned on. Yeah. (laughs) Time to get it on. Totally. Totally. Um. Yeah, and just as we wrap things up here, I, I just want to say again that it's really normal in your life to experience periods of low or no sexual desire. You know, life events, stress, hormonal changes all contribute to that. And so just to really not be too hard on yourself during these times and communicate openly with your partner about your needs. There's also no like normal level of desire or correct way to experience arousal. If you end up doing that that quiz in the book, Come As You Are, I think you'll kind of see how there's just a, a really wide spectrum of desire and arousal and that everyone's desires are unique. And of course, as I just said, they change over time. And so it varies significantly from person to person and from even one moment to another. So what works for one doesn't work for another. So, you know, really this comes back into this whole thing of self-acceptance, like just accept your unique patterns of arousal and desire. The most important thing is to find what works for you and then communicating that. And um, yeah, so if if you are struggling with desire, arousal, any of these things that we're talking about today, uh, I'd love it if you just book a free call with me to talk about it more. I do um, work with women regularly about just supporting this exploration of of turn on and desire and and just really coming to a place where you can experience as much of it as you really want to. So yeah, hit me up in the show notes. You'll find the link and I would love to have a conversation. I know that there, a lot of our listeners are far and wide, uh, but if Carla's ever offering literally any fucking class that's available online or something like that, go do it. If you're here in Prince George, go take one of her classes. You won't be disappointed. Thanks, Leah. You're welcome. Mainly because you just let me show up to your class to fill spaces, but I'm always I always learn something new. That's not true. I have you there because I love you. You know, I squish you squish me in there. Not to fill space, <laughs> but like, you know, squish me in there. My favorite still are all the are the breasts breasts, the breasts of bliss, the breaths <laughs> of bliss. Yeah, those are fun. A very good time. Anyways, we're going to go down another fucking rabbit hole here about like circular breathing. I came. Just kidding. (laughs) If only it was that easy. Um, 
Next time on the Radical Sex Witches, we're going to be kicking off a new little segment that I am dubbing right now, The Bad Bitches of History. And we're going to be sharing the incredible story of a woman named Honeysuckle Divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, be good. I'm little Leah. And I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique radical sex witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.